All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from New York City on the 16th day of November 2021. I do like to remind you, I'm the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and uh, you can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. You can call our office here in New York as well during normal work hours at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. We do like to also um, encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Go to ChenPix.com, ChenPix.com for that. And also we like to uh, suggest you take a look at Michael Oliver's work as well at OliverMSA.com. OliverMSA.com, and uh, Michael has provided uh, just this last week uh, the weekly weekly momentum triggers for key markets, and he's provided that in his newsletter for gold and silver, for uh, the gold shares, GDX and GDXJ, uh, as well as the silver stocks, SIL and SILJ, and uh, Michael's work has been impeccable, frankly. Uh, I... I, uh, it's been the best technical analyst that I've ever used and uh, very, very helpful. And again, I think in just a moment, you'll see why my confidence continues to increase in Michael's work. Um, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Sponsors for today's show, Novo Resources, Eloral Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., and Firefox Gold. I've titled today's show, What Are the Signs of Fiat Currency Destruction? Alistair McLeod and Roger Moss are my guests today. Central banks now face a dilemma. Either they allow interest rates to rise to sufficient levels to tackle price inflation and lend support to their currencies, or they take take one last gamble on yet more stimulus in the hope that recessions can be avoided. Politics and neo-Keynesian economics strongly favor monetary inflation and continued interest rate suppression, but following that course leads to the destruction of currencies, ultimately. Perhaps one of the best comparisons of America's current situation is that of John Law's Mississippi bubble, in which the French currency was being propped up for a time by massive money creation that caused people to keep the country's uh, equity prices elevated. But ultimately, the system collapsed because of massive malinvestment in the Mississippi company. Uh, Investors began to realize they were lied to regarding the value of their investments in the Mississippi company. And when debt could not be serviced, the French printed more and more money faster and faster, just as the Federal Reserve Bank is doing now, 
to keep the U.S. Treasury markets from tanking. At one point, when confidence, however, was lost in the currency, the French currency almost immediately plunged to a state of worthlessness as the public came to realize that they had that they that they were had by a, a gigantic Ponzi scheme. With America and much of the Western world following that same Mississippi bubble script, Alistair will help us identify the milestones as we pass them uh, towards the ultimate destruction of fiat money and massive price inflation. He will also explain why, in the end, cryptocurrencies will not replace state-issued currencies, but rather are likely to become just another imploding fiat-denominated bubble. Alistair will explain why the best form of protection against the increasingly likely collapse of fiat money will be real money, that is, physical gold and physical silver, not currency or derivatives. After all, those monetary metals have been selected not by politicians, but by the markets over thousands of years. Uh, Dr. Roger Moss will be with me in just a few minutes right after our first commercial break to update us on the success of his company, Labrador Gold. They're having a lot of success exploring that same belt of rocks from which newfound gold is developing what looks like a multi-million, high-grade, near-surface gold discovery in Newfoundland. And uh, certainly much of what Roger Moss will tell you today uh, and what the company has reported are numbers that look very much like those of newfound golds uh, just south of where Labrador is exploring. As uh, Alistair is sure to remind us, gold and silver are the ultimate monetary metals that have been selected by markets, not by politicians. Uh, And so uh, I think it's really, especially now, uh, as gold is apparently breaking out uh, uh, into a new, I think, a new bull run, uh, it's going to be very exciting to hear what Roger Moss has to say uh, when we come back after our first commercial break. And uh, also, uh, what Quentin Henning is going to have to say, uh, not this week, but next week, Quentin is going to be with us to talk about not only Novo Resources, but actually each of the sponsors of this program, for which he is either an advisor or uh, he knows their stories very well as an advisor to Crescat Capital. Uh, and so I'm really happy to have him with us next week. I should mention... Um, with regard to the gold breakout, the parent gold breakout, uh, Michael Oliver was with us a couple of weeks ago. He mentioned the hurdle of 1825. I think that particular day, uh, a couple of weeks ago on Tuesday when he was with us, gold at that moment was above 1825, which he has said is his hurdle, uh, a, a weekly close during this quarter during this calendar quarter, a weekly close above 1825 would would uh, really break through and lead us on uh, to the next major run higher in gold. Well, it didn't happen that week, but it did happen last week uh, when gold did clear 1825 by a significant margin last Friday. Uh, And so it would seem as though uh, we are now starting a new bull market in gold, the next leg up anyway. Uh, certainly gold isn't behaving that way today. It was down some $25, I think, from its high in London this morning, uh, New York's morning. Uh, the London afternoon, it was uh, down quite a bit, uh, or it has been down quite a bit since then. But it's meandering around uh, 1850 right now, uh, comfortably above that 1825. I'll just tell you that uh, the confidence that I've had in Michael Oliver's work, it's been especially helpful to me to keep me 
uh, from being triggered in and out of markets at the wrong time. Um, you know, it's it's easy to get emotional uh, and to throw your hands up and say it's over, let's get out. But when I've done that in the past, very often I was very close uh, to the bottom of the market. And uh, Michael has been expre- very, very helpful to me, not as a short-term trader, but as a longer-term investor, uh, just to to know when the big ones are coming. You know, when are we when are we going to see uh, some kind of a major top or a major bottom? These are very important uh, for long-term investors. Well, um, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because, as I told you, Roger Moss will be with us to talk about uh, progress being made at Labrador Gold. They've had some really eye-popping assays coming out, looking very much like uh, the numbers, very much like the numbers that Labrador that uh, Newfound Gold has been reporting. Uh, but as Roger Moss, Dr. Roger Moss, uh, uh, in his uh, background as a geologist, uh, will certainly know uh, and be able. Uh, to see whether or not the rocks look the same, which is a lot of times equally as important. It's a huge, long, I think it's about seven and a half kilometer belt of rocks uh, that uh, Labrador is exploring. Uh, And it's a very exciting story. And uh, of course, the market cap much, much lower uh, than newfound gold at this time. So you may want to pay attention to it if you're, uh, to what Roger has to say, if you're interested in investing in gold mining shares. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Roger Moss. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Um, unfortunately, our, our guest, Roger Moss, uh, for some reason, is not with us. Uh, he, uh, Well, we just haven't been able to reach him, and we only have one source of connecting with him, and so he's uh, 
not available, and that's a bit of a surprise to me because he had sent me uh, the things he would like to talk about today, the things I ask, as I usually do, ask uh, my corporate guests what they would like to uh, to be sure to focus on, and Roger did send me some things, and uh, what he told me, uh, the things he'd like to focus on, uh, such things as uh, the big the big vein drilling updates from where they've had some phenomenal uh, intercepts, very rich, high-grade intercepts uh, looking very much like those just south of that uh, particular point uh, that are being reported by Newfound Gold. Uh, he talked about, uh, he wanted to talk about some new pristine targets uh, to the north of the big vein. Um, the, um, the significance of that being that uh, those are surface samples or um, uh, soil samples that were taken, and what it suggests is that they're looking at a source that's very, very close to uh, where they're finding these samples. Seven and a half uh, kilometer long belt of rocks, uh, and they just barely started, and they're having success right from the get-go, which I think is very, very uh, encouraging. And then there is a new discovery they just made that's real close to the Newfoundland uh, border uh, to the south, and that's called the Golden Glove Update. So Roger was going to talk about all those things. It's a, uh, The company has got a market ca- cap of about $143 million in Canadian money. It's selling at $0.93 cents in Canadian dollars earlier today, 153.7 million shares. LAB is a symbol in Canada, NKOSF in the United States, uh, and that's uh, the way I've purchased my shares. I do own them. I'm very excited about Labrador, and I think with the gold bull market now just starting to move higher uh, or starting the next leg up, uh, notwithstanding today's sort of uh, correction, I would say, uh, that we're on to, I think, the next major move higher uh, in the gold market, which should do wonders for the junior mining sector. And I should say the junior mining sector, despite the fact that gold itself and the share prices have not performed very well over the last number of months, There's been no shortage of money moving into the gold sector, certainly as the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world continue to create money out of nothing and throw it into the the monetary system. There are people out there that recognize this is a very dangerous game that they're playing in terms of the future um, of, of our monetary system and our economy and our society as a whole, and they are seeking to protect themselves, certainly large hedge fund guys. Uh, or throwing a bit of their portfolios into gold. And gold is such a small market relative to other markets uh, that it doesn't take a lot of buying power uh, to uh, to cause the gold price to move higher. Um, I mean, compared to the treasury markets, it's really a baby. And, of course, silver is a fraction of what the gold markets are. And that's why silver and bull markets for precious metals tends to outperform gold and um you know, and, and of course, gold falls less than silver during bear markets. But I think we're positioned now for the next run up. And so um, it's a shame that Roger's not with us. Perhaps, uh, perhaps Matt, my engineer, will get in touch with him before we finish. Uh, I should say that uh, Quentin Henning has agreed to come along next week. So he'll uh, most certainly have a few words to say about Labrador. He knows it very well uh, as a geologist and I know uh, has Crestcat Capital. Uh, invested in Labrador as well. So uh, what I thought I would do since in Roger's absence is talk to you a little bit about what I spoke about in Vancouver at the Metals Investor Forum. And that um, 
video of that of my talk as well as the other newsletter writers were at the, that were at the conference will be available uh, and I will let you know when it's available uh, to view uh, my talk as well as the others if you care to uh, and as well as the talks by the various companies that were invited to the uh, to the conference. I titled my uh, my talk at the Metals Investor Forum, Why Inflation is Not Transitory and the Great Crossover is Underway. And I started out my talk by, by mentioning The Fourth Turning. It's a book that I think is very important, um, a very important read of history and an understanding of the historical cycles that societies and monetary systems go through. Uh, it's a cycle, I think, that you can go back to and look at in biblical times. So it's nothing new. Human nature ha doesn't change over time. Uh, and when we go through really rough times, we can tend to, uh, to sort of purify ourselves in some ways. We become, let's say, uh, more, uh, more aware of, uh, of, uh, of our things, of things that we're doing that we shouldn't do. And then humans tend to go through a period of time in which they, uh, in which they sort of shape up, as you might say, uh, and live responsibly again and treat each other better, uh, spend their money more responsibly, uh, and live in a way that is, uh, I would say, more godly and more, uh, more in tune with what brings about happiness and good health. Well, my engineer tells me now, I guess I will have to uh, uh, continue this some other time. Uh, I went on to give some reasons why, um, as we move away from free market capitalism to corporatism or fascism, if you will, uh, why we're going to have some very difficult times. And I think we're starting to see it now in the policies that have been increasingly leaning more towards socialism, away from capitalism, more towards government control, away from freedom of individuals. Uh, and I think that's going to be very bad for uh, the prosperity and the uh, happiness and creativity of society. Uh, but um, I guess maybe that's a good preview to my talk. Uh, and I'll give mention some reasons why I'm convinced uh, that inflation is not transitory. But now that we do have Roger, and I'm thankful he's here, uh, let me say hello to Roger. Um, Roger, thanks for joining me. You're welcome, Jay. Sorry, uh, sorry, there was a, uh, I'm a bit late there. It was tied up. Well, I can imagine you're tied up for good reasons. Uh, probably <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people would like to tie you up and, and just uh, take away those take away those claims from Labrador and put them in their own pockets. I don't know why you're tied up. A man as you, uh, a busy man, a man as responsible as you are, are going to have a lot of people tugging at him. So I, I fully understand, Roger, and I want to thank you so much for joining us. Well, I, I won't uh, spend time on your biography other than say that you've had a rich history uh, as a exploration geologist, a great deal of success making one multi-million ounce gold discovery in Namibia. Uh, and you've been all around the world as a as uh, as a as a geologist, and you also uh, do some uh, some teaching at the University of Toronto in uh, in your field. So uh, we should uh, I did tell people uh, the, the symbol and all that stuff. So let's jump right into uh, your Kingsway um, your Kingsway pro property. It covers 77 square kilometers along the same belt of rocks as Newfound's uh, Queensway project. That looks. Looks to me, Roger, like they've got a multi-million ounce gold discovery on underway. Time will tell, of course. But most of the drilling carried out so far in your, I think, 50,000 meter program that you have now is focused on the big vein target located uh, well, towards the southern end of your property, 
closer to the newfound property, and you've had some magnificent high-grade intercepts that look very much like the numbers that have come out from newfound. And just last week, for example, I think it was last week that you reported 76.24 grams of gold per ton over a half a meter and uh, 32.5 grams over uh, eight-tenths of a meter. Those are narrow widths, but very, very rich. Uh, what can you tell us that you have learned so far about Big Vein? Yeah, thanks, Jay. Um, yeah, it's, it's been uh, it's, it, we, we have uh, we're we're getting through uh, the meters in the fifty fifty thousand meter drill program. What what we've learned is that uh, we initially we when we started drilling Big Vein that that was what we expected. We expected a, a, a vein, a fairly wide vein that that would hopefully have some good grades with it. And um, over the course of the last six months. We've learned that, in fact, in this in this area, we we now have three discrete zones. Big, v, big oh. vein being just one of them. So, in addition to big vein, we have the HTC zone, which we which we've announced results from uh, in the past, and and that tends to be quite high grade. So, some of those um, some of those high grade intersections that you mentioned would have been from the HTC zone, but recently. We've uh, we've found that we have a third zone, uh, a little deeper than the HTC zone, and that that's what we we call that the the HTC football zone. So um, we're we're still in the process of of uh, delineating that zone a little better, but uh, but we're confident enough now to say that yes, we did, we have we have three zones that we know of so far at uh, at Big Vein. Are these steeply dipping deep veins uh, structures or what? Yeah, they're so the the HTC zone itself it's very it, it's very steeply plunging. It's probably plunging at about seventy degrees down to the southwest. Um, we've drilled it to about uh, to about two hundred meters vertically, and mm-hmm. it's still open. And we are in the process of testing uh, below that two hundred meter depth. Uh, to see if if we can continue hitting it at at, at uh, d- deeper, um, big vein is not as steeply steeply plunging. It's it's plunging to the southwest more moderately, probably on the order of about fifty fifty degrees. And the mm-hmm. two, those two zones are separated by what we call big vein fault, and mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, that that's interesting because of course wherever you have faults, you have uh, you have ways for fluid to move around and, and potentially deposit the gold. Um, and that fault, so far as we can tell, is behaving pretty well so far. And uh, then the, the HTC football zone, we don't really have a good handle on that yet because I think we've only have about four intersections into it. Um, but it seems to be probably paralleling the HTC zone um, but just a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. So you'll continue to, to, I guess, to work on on those on the big vein and those those other two um, it, through the end of this year into next year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're we're, we're continuing to drill down to the southwest. Um, as, as I mentioned, both both those uh, big vein and HTC zone plunge down to the southwest. Uh, big big vein a little bit more shallowly. Um, so yeah, we're we're stepping out down to the southwest and also um, drilling 
drilling deeper down underneath the HTC zone. So mm-hmm. there, there are two drills there and another drill that's now working out in, in, in a more regional regional area. Mm-hmm. How closely do you think uh, what you've discovered so far parallels what Newfound has discovered just south of you along the same belt of rocks? Well, I think, uh, I think the mineralization is uh, pretty well identical from what I can mm-hmm. tell. Um, the difference, of course, is that uh, Newfound has has uh, put out longer intersections of, of high grade high grade gold. Um, so that's that's one of the things that that we're still we're still struggling with a little bit. Um, we certainly have the grade, but we don't mm-hmm. have those uh, those twenty twenty meter ten meter intervals of those grades just yet. But um, the mineralization itself, I think, I think it's, it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, Labrador has reported that uh, all along the Appleton Fault, that's that major structure that seems to be so important in this area for mineralization, it's that you've reported that all along the fault you have intermittent quartz vein outcrops. And as your exploration team has walked over those outcrops, you've found till samples with pristine gold grains as a geologist, can you explain to our listeners uh, why not only the fact that gold occurrences is important, but also the significance of the pristine nature of those gold, gold grains? Could you explain that to our listeners? Yes. Um, so this, this this was a very exciting find for us. Um, we did we did the toll sampling earlier in the summer, and we got the results back uh, probably about a couple of months ago. And um, I, I put out news release and and. People were confused, I think, and uh, which is probably my fault for not for not explaining it very well in the news release. But to me, this was really exciting because when when we have pristine gold grains, now you have to you have to imagine that these gold grains have been deposited by glaciers that have scraped these gold grains off of some rock as they mm-hmm. as they went over the surface, and as those glaciers melted. And retreated, they drop these gold grains and other bits of rock and sediment that make up make up the till samples. Um, they dropped all that out of the glacier as the glaciers retreated. So, what we can what we can say when we look at these gold grains because they're pristine and what that means is that they they have really sharp edges and pointy pointy mm-hmm. edges. And as you know, uh, gold is very malleable. So if you if you abrade a, a grain like that for any length of time, it's just going to be folded over and rounded up into a ball like a gold nugget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. So what is really exciting about that, those, those gold grains is that they didn't come very far. Mm-hmm. And the consultants that did the work for us believe that they, it's unlikely that they came further than 200 meters away. Wow. Now, so what what we have is now between Big Vein and those till samples, there's another source of gold that produced those gold grains. Mm-hmm. So right no. now we have we have a drill looking for that source. Mm-hmm. Can you drill through the winter up there? Yes, we can. Yeah. Okay. That's the and your plan. And okay, good. Now I want to have to ask you about a new discovery, the Golden Glove, which is right down there, almost 
very close anyway to Newfound's uh, property. What what can you tell us about Golden Glove? Well, the funny thing about Golden Glove is that uh, it, it, was, it was, well, first of all, the name came about because the prospectors that were sampling the the vein, one, one of them had a had a pair of gloves on. He, he wears gloves in the field to protect his hands. And um, when they finished sampling, there were there were all these flecks of gold on his gloves. <laughs> and so that, that's where the name came from, Golden Gloves. Um, but that the, we we had some incredible assays from from that um, from that uh, from that outcrop. Now this is this is an outcrop of quartz with gold gold um, with visible gold in it. And the the uh, the assays that we got out that we got from there was something like three three hundred and forty grams a ton, hundred and ninety grams a ton, eighty four grams a ton. Now these are all grab samples, so we just yeah. we just hammered them off and put them in the sample bag and sent them off for for assay. But what uh, what's really interesting about this is that these are as good or better than the initial samples that we got from Big Vein a year ago. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm very excited to be doing more work down in that area. And uh, we're in the process of getting our, our permit applications in for drilling. And we expect that we'll be able to be doing something there early next year. And uh, that's going to be really exciting because that, that could be as good or better than Big Vein. Oh, well, we'll have to look forward to that. Certainly, how much of the 50,000 meters um, have been completed, your current drill program? How many, uh, are there a lot of assays in the lab yet waiting to be released? Uh, yeah, yes, there are always lots of assays in the lab, uh, or samples in the lab, yeah. Um, so, uh, the we, we have about, I think we're probably up to about 17, 17 18,000 meters. And I would, I would think. Now I'd have to try and remember how much we've actually, how many assays we've got back. But it's it, we're usually at at the point of about sixty percent of assays that we that we've received. So there's probably about forty percent um, mm-hmm. still in the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So uh, you're well funded to get in to to, to move into next year. Yeah, so we're the the funding is uh, we still have about thirty million Canadian in the bank, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's uh, that's that's certainly good enough to complete our fifty thousand meter drill program, and and probably enough to double it to a hundred thousand. Um, so that not not that I'm saying we're going to do that right now, but mm-hmm. um, if we continue continue to have success, especially when we start uh, drilling some of these regional targets, then uh, I, could see, I could see the drill program uh, growing pretty easily. Well, you have, like, I, I believe, something like seven and a half kilometers of, of strike to explore, and you've uh, basically just, just nipped the surface, I guess, at this stage, right? Yeah, well, I think, I think a big vein, we've, we've probably drilled about 400 meters. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, the, the, there's seven and a half kilometers of, of what we call that quartz vein corridor. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, there's probably another four and a half kilometers along the Appland Fault that's, that's further to the north. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of very prospective uh, ground along that fault that we still 
that we still have uh, have to explore significantly. All right, Roger, we'll have to leave it go at that, but I thank you for the update, and we'll be looking forward to drill results and uh, keeping up with your story as we go forward. Thank you so much for your time today, Roger. Oh, you're welcome, Jay. Thank you. All right, folks, well, we do have to go to break now, but Alistair McLeod will be with me right afterwards to talk about the milestones on the way towards a currency destruction. Not a happy story, but one we want to be ready for as much as possible. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Happy to have Alistair McLeod with us once again. Thank you, Alistair, for joining us. That's my pleasure, Jay. Um, I would like to talk to you about your most, oh, no, actually it was your uh, October 29th uh, piece on the um, uh, the markers that we might be looking towards uh, fiat currency destruction. You've talked about it frequently, and, uh, you know, the mainstream Media just sort of scoffs at that idea. I think um, we I read something this morning um, that somebody was saying, uh, I think it was Bi- uh, President Biden's National Economic Council Director, Brian Deese, uh, something like 20-some years old, central planner uh, and, and uh, main spokesperson for the White House on economics. And uh, uh, he told Jake Tapper at CNN that things are working out swimmingly, swimmingly well. Exactly according to plan, he says. Uh, it, it seems as though, uh, you know, in sustainable economic policy, massive spending creates massive inflation, which creates an increased demand for government subsidies to afford basic products, which creates a growing dependency on the government, which creates a need for massive spending. Wash, rinse, repeat. And uh, sort of the socialist policy, the I suppose, a Keynesian policy in a way, the neo-Keynesian policy. You wrote, you started out your October 29th piece, and I quote, you said, central banks now face a dilemma. Either they allow interest rates to rise to uh, sufficient levels to tackle price inflation and lend support to their currencies, or they take one last gamble on yet one more stimulus in the hope that recession can be avoided. 
politics and neo-Keynesian economics strongly favor monetary inflation and continued interest rate suppression, but following that course leads to the destruction of currencies, end of quote. So you went on and talked about the different um, waypoints along the way uh, and how we can recognize what's going on, even if, uh, you know, even if the media isn't going to recognize it. You're suggesting there are ways that we can keep track of where we're at in this process towards currency destruction. Way, waypoint number one, um, you said commentary in the mainstream media has yet to address that interest rates, rising inflation, that re- that uh, rising inflation and I- rising interest rates will inevitably cause uh, rates to rise. That is, inflation will inevitably cause rates to rise. Uh, and it has to be expected at any time, you suggested. Um, as you show, and, and in that process, uh, in your piece, you showed a chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury, and you talked about this and have written about this frequently in the in the recent past, about how it is, you know, before we started talking seriously about tapering, about the, before the Fed, I don't know if they've ever talked seriously about it, but before they started talking about it, the 10-year Treasury started to rise already, breaking through key points. It's well above its 55-day and 200-day uh, averages right now. So uh, where do you think we're at now in this process? So let me just ask you to, to discuss waypoint one. Uh, what are the things we should be looking for there? Yeah, well, waypoint one, I mean, it's, it's, it's rapidly approaching. And, um, you know, the, the, the choice, it, basically, the Fed has got a choice. Um, either it supports financial assets um, and does so um, against a background of rising inflation, um, and I'll come on to that in a moment, mm-hmm. uh, because rising inflation leads to rising interest rates. It's as simple as that. And mm-hmm. even if the Fed don't do anything about it, then they will find their hand forced on the interest rate front. Now, that would obviously undermine not just bond yields, but also undermine the equity market. Mm-hmm. And this is where the Fed has a problem, because it has been pursuing a policy of uh, engendering uh, optimism in the economy mm-hmm. through inflating financial assets. So if suddenly, uh, because of rising interest rates, uh, you face a bear market in the in equities, then that is going to, as far as the Fed is concerned, undermine economic conf- confidence. Mm-hmm. So what they should do under those circumstances is increase um, quantitative easing in other words, inject more money into investing institutions such as pension funds and insurance companies um, in return for um, the Fed adding yet more uh, treasury and agency uh, uh, stock on its balance sheet. Mm-hmm. So you can see that um, you know, you've, you've got a problem here because um, we have rising inflation, yet if the Fed starts to print money in order to keep markets buoyant, that's just going to make the inflation problem worse. So, you know, what are they going to do? It seems to me that, um, you know, if they try and support markets, they trash the dollar. If they don't support markets, the foreigners will, you know, who own, I think, roughly $14 trillion worth of U.S. equities, um, they will start selling because the only reason foreigners hold equities is because they want to make money. And if you're no longer making money, there's no point in having them. So, you know, this is uh, potentially a very unstable situation. 
So this is waypoint one, the decision that the Fed has to take. What is it going to do? Is it going to sacrifice the market or sacrifice the dollar? Waypoint two then, um, talk to us about that. Uh, again, the media doesn't catch, doesn't see anything wrong. They, they think uh, they continue to believe what this young man that in the Biden administration suggested we should just keep spending more money to stimulate the economy. Um, the Fed can keep printing money, they think. And they don't seem to be overly concerned. I don't hear a lot of talk in the media, um, Alistair, about concerns about the foreigners no longer buying treasuries uh, and reducing their holdings. There's not a lot of concern about that. There seems to be this notion that the Fed is omnipotent. Uh, and, you know, they can do no wrong and that they will bail us out once again. Uh, but talk to us about Waypoint 2. The Fed is likely, I think everybody pretty much agrees, and it seems this young man in the Treasury Department or in the White House is uh, is telling us what they're going to do. They're going to do more of the same, right? They're going to print more money. It's the neo-Keynesian way. What well, about Waypoint? Yeah, Waypoint 2 then. What are we looking at? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just amazed, actually, at um, you know, what you're saying about this economic advisor in the White House. I mean, it's it's scary, actually, Jay. I think it's very scary. But anyway, we'll move on. Waypoint two. Um, basically, uh, the Fed, as I wrote here, the Fed will have a straightforward choice. Resist market pressures for higher interest rates to save financial markets stave off insolvency by over-leveraged borrowers and minimize government funding costs, or protect the dollar by raising the funds rate sufficiently to take all expectation of higher rates out of the market and ignore the financial carnage. Mm -hmm. So really, it's um, you know, just down the road from, from waypoint one, in, assess, in, yeah. in essence, because um, once confidence starts going in financial markets, and once particularly interest rates start rising, mm -hmm. bond yields start rising, particularly at the short end of the curve, mm -hmm. you will find that banks will not be interested in lending money to um, uh, the corporate sector, the, you know, the non-financial sector. Mm -hmm. um, they will be more interested in stripping out the difference between um, the uh, um, uh, you know the rate which they pay depositors, which they won't they won't raise. I mean, if interest rates go up two, three, four percent, they won't raise what they're paying the depositors because there's no need to. I mean, depositors are depositors, and uh, they you know they got nowhere else to put the money. So the answer is quite simple. You don't raise the rates you pay your depositors, but what you can do is you can get um, uh, higher interest rates um, because really all a bank is is a dealer in currency, you know, it, uh, yeah, sure. currency and credit. So, um, you know, you can get more on the asset side of your balance sheet by either buying uh, debt, which is um, uh, which where the price has fallen to reflect a higher yield, or, uh, so you can do that. Or alternatively, you can lend money to speculators who want to rip out the difference between um, the cost of borrowing at the moment and what um, they perceive to be the purchasing power of the dollar in the future. Oh. That's going to be an increasing problem because... <laughs> Yeah, that's just going to just drive expectations uh, for uh, even higher rates, which um, I think is the last thing the Fed wants. So, um, uh, Mr. Powell, which way is it going to be? Yeah, well, we're not, I think we're not at that point yet. I mean, we're, 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 we're a lot closer to point, waypoint one. I mean, we can actually see waypoint one coming up, but it's the sort of waypoint two is an extension of waypoint one, as it were. Right. 
And it's that point where the Fed is going to have to make a decision. It's it's closer to that point, right? It's going to yeah. it's going to be forced to make a decision. And um, I mean, I, people though do seem to think that the Fed can control interest rates. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't hear you don't you never hear people talking about the Fed as being forced to raise rates. You don't hear it that. But I think that's your viewpoint generally, isn't it? In this yeah. in, in this rising inflationary scenario, you know, the Fed the, the the rhetoric is always the Fed's in charge. The Fed is going to raise rates the fed is going to taper and not taper the fed is in control of everything and that's the mindset yeah. that they want us to have i suppose absolutely i mean i was a stockbroker in the 1970s in the uk mm-hmm. and i saw the situation where the central bank lost control of the markets i mean don't think that it won't happen in america right. it will because the problem is that as interest rates uh, rise as bond yields rise if the Fed tries to dispose, of, sorry, tries to um, uh, help the Treasury fund at too low a level, you will find that the auctions just won't, um, you know, I mean, you, there are always some people you can persuade into the auction. You just lean mm-hmm. on a few people. But basically, the system will begin to fail. That's, mm-hmm. That is the problem. So, and, then, and, and then when people start to recognize that there are no buyers for these treasuries and it has to be totally monetized, is that when you think some people will start getting the heebie-jeebies? Well, yes. I mean, and even a, a little bit before then, because um, as I said earlier, there is so much, um, if you like, weak holders overhanging the market. I mean, why do you own equities? You own equities because you think they're going to be worth more tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah. The moment you begin to doubt that that's the question, that that, that 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 is the outcome, you then really haven't got a proper reason to hold equities. That's that's what it boils down to. Uh, and this is particularly true of foreigners, who I think will be very ready sellers at the first sign of trouble. Mm-hmm. Waypoint number three, then, um, what, what, what does that period look like? Well, um, here we're looking at uh, consumer demand. Now, this, this one is an interesting one mm-hmm. because um, there will be a point where consumers um, really begin to push forward their purchases. What I mean by that is that they've got cash. They've got cash because the government has given them cash and they've been locked down. So the amount of liquidity to hand has rocketed. I mean, there's a chart which um, uh, the St. Louis Fred system does of um, Mm -hmm. household and uh, non-profit making organizations, you know, their cash balances at um, in the banks. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a scary chart. Everybody's absolutely up to their eyes in um, in in dollars. Uh, the liquidity is incredible. Now, either they turn that into savings, which um, you know, with all due respect to my American friends, I think is unlikely, or <laughs> they seek to normalise the level of their liquidity relative to their spending habits. And what that means basically is that there's something like a couple of trillion dollars likely to hit the streets um, in the coming months, which will be accelerated as soon as people begin to see that not only have prices gone up, but they're going to continue to go up. Um, And uh, that at some stage will turn into a situation whereby people begin to think, now, hold on a minute, what is actually happening here? All prices are going up. My dollar's buying less. Is it because my dollar's going down or the price is going up? I need to think about this. Yeah. You, do, you know, now, the moment the majority of the population begin to understand 
that it is the dollar going down rather than prices going up, then as von Mises said of inflations in, in um, you know, his experience of, uh, of inflations in the 1920s, Europe said the moment the public realized that there is no hope for the currency. Right. Uh, and is that then, go ahead. Yeah, this is important because what is feeding it, if you look at M1 money supply, um, I was calculating since February uh, 2020 to September 21, it has gone up 400%. Wow. This is the narrow measure of money. That is an annualized inflation rate, because it's just short of two years, of 230%. I mean, we have never seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. And, on, and on top of that, we have got, um, you know, sort of a, a couple of trillion excess money out of that, which um, is is in consumer hands. So, you know, the, the idea that um, inflation is transient and don't worry about chaps, you know, we'll, we'll, it'll all sort itself out in the fullness of time. Forget it. That's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And I think, the, you know, the realization that that's not going to happen and actually what's happening is the dollar's going down rather than prices going up. That will be the beginning of the end for the currency. But of course, that's what we've been seeing. That's what we're, I think that's taking place now. That's starting to happen right now. We're seeing almost everything rise. I mean, it's bond prices, stock prices, commodity prices, you know, not every day, everything going up, but generally speaking, everything is rising, uh, denominated in, in an increasingly worthless dollar, right? That's already happening, but it's just that the masses don't recognize it yet. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, um, we're, we're particularly talking about um, the prices of goods, you know, uh-huh. food, um, the sort of stuff, the essentials, um, you know, energy, uh, gasoline, yes. what, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, the things that you actually buy in the normal course of your life, um, they are going up and they're not going to stop going up because of this massive money printing. And, of mm-hmm. course, the amazing thing is that the authorities uh, seem to pay absolutely no attention to any link between the quantity of money, changes in the quantity of money, and changes in its purchasing power. I mean, it's not the only factor, but, my goodness, when you get an explosion of uh, um, M1 currency like that, then, you know, Surely someone is going to understand that it's going to be a price effect and a major price effect down the line. And that's what we're seeing now, Jay. You are starting to see it. 6.2, I think it was the latest CPI print in the U.S. And, uh, and, and these are the essential things that we're talking about that people have to have to stay alive. Alistair, I'm horror-stricken here. I've only four minutes left, and I have so much more to ask you. Uh, waypoint four, then, would be when things unravel very quickly, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what, you know, that really follows on from people really understanding that it is the currency going down and they must dispose of it as rapidly as possible. But that equates to the situation. I mean, we heard the tales in, in the Weimar Republic of, you know, uh, uh, the, the man who goes and collects his pay from the bank, um, puts a check in, gets a wheelbarrow load of paper marks, goes along to the shop, goes into the sh- shop to spend the money, goes out to get them, get the money. The money's dumped on the pavement and the wheelbarrow is stolen. You know, it's that, it's that sort of endgame, the Venezuelan situation, if you like. Well, it's obviously that's situation. extremely unstable and, and society can't function like that. For, so there has to be a change. Yeah. There would have to be a new currency, which leads me to uh, my next question. My wife is always telling me, 
I can't see anything other than the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. It can't happen. There's no other currencies out there. But if we come to a situation like that, something has to give, right? There has to be a new system. Uh, and. Yeah. And and historically, it's gone back to if the markets are allowed to, to have any say in the matter, it goes back to the monetary metals, gold and silver. Yes, I, absolutely. And I think um, in practice, what will happen is that at some stage in this falling purchasing power of the dollar, um, the um, administration like the U.S. Treasury and, you know, everybody in, to involve involved with the money side of things uh, will understand that the game is up and basically what they've got to do is stabilize the currency, mobilize the gold reserves. And um, I am actually writing an article which will be released on Thursday, which mm -hmm. shows how it can be done. And um, it's actually quite an optimistic outcome mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. what I'm, I, I think it, you know, should happen actually does happen. So it's not all gloom and doom, but it does mean that um, this can only happen after um, people's savings have been trashed, after the middle classes have been more or less impoverished. Um, I mean, it, it will be a very unpleasant situation where people have money which buys virtually nothing. It will get to that sort of level, but they will stop it and they will have to reintroduce sound money. Forget um, things like cryptocurrencies, central bank digital currencies. I mean, no central bank digital currency has been discussed in the view that, you know, we're not going to issue any more currency. This is going to stabilize it. No, they do. They want to do it because they want to have an extra currency to issue. I mean, you know, yeah. this is it's still inflation. I mean, the answer is, as you rightly say, um, uh, uh, metallic money, which is basically what is selected by individuals to act as their medium of exchange, um, and it should go back to them. And it always does. When government fiat fails, it always goes back to those two. All right. So that's what you want to own. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about Basel III and why you think that we may be getting very close to the the tomfoolery that's going on from the major central banks, but we're out of town time. Basel III, though, comes into play January 3rd, or so the first business day of the new year, right? And it, it, do you think we're starting to see some signs of that well, now? Yeah, it's already in play in America and Europe. Um, and um, unfortunately for the bullion banks, suddenly there's huge demand for uh, gold futures. And um, I mean, we've seen 100,000 contracts added in the last, well, really since the beginning of this month. That is making their life extremely difficult. And I would think that they're probably now short of uh, a gross value of something like 60 billion uh, dollars in the swaps i mean that is that is huge it really is mm -hmm. huge and it's going right. the wrong way for them but all right you know, and then so people are people are demanding delivery then more than in the past well yes they have i mean it's and the banks have to unwind yeah well you can you can see um uh, you can see the deliveries going through comex i mean we okay. never used to see that that's the first okay. thing all right, but, we'll have to leave it go at that, Alistair. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, Basil 3 for another day, hopefully. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Always uh, very great to have you with us. Uh, that's it for this week, folks. Next week, Quentin Henning, as I said, will be with us to talk about Novo Resources and El Oro, Hannon Metals, Lion One Metals, SK Mining, Firefox Gold, Labrador Gold. He'll be with us. And also Michael Oliver will be with us once again. Uh, Michael called 1825 as the key point. Uh, to set us off to the next run-up in gold, and looks like he may be right. Um, but that's all for this week. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. 
Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including the 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.